Hi, this is Steve Hargadon, and welcome to the Future of Education. It's Tuesday, June 14th, 2010. At least it's Tuesday in North America. We're sure glad to have you here. Our special guest is Larry Ferlazzo from uh, Sacramento, whose book, Helping Students Motivate Themselves, has just been published. Welcome, Larry, and thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Steve. It's a pleasure. So we really do appreciate your coming on the show again. The Future of Education is sponsored by Learn Central. That's the social networking project I work on for Illuminate. Illuminate now known as Blackboard Collaborate, the combination of Illuminate and Wimba. The show is also sponsored by my Web 2.0 Labs project. That's at web20labs.com. We have announced the dates for our 2011 Global Education Conference. If you attended this last year, you know what what fun it was. November 14th to 18th, that's five days, 24 hours a day. It is free. Last year we had presentations from over 60 countries, over 400 presentations. It's a blast. Hope you'll mark your calendars for that one again. Uh, a couple of projects that we started that are fun. Teacher20.com is a new network for teachers uh, looking at the use of the web for personal and professional development, not the classroom, but for personal and professional development. If you are in the Sacramento area, you're welcome to come this Friday. We're doing our first experimental workshop on Teacher 2.0. It is free. If you want to donate, you can, because I have paid for a facility. But don't let that stop you. Uh, Teacher20.com is a little sign up there. And there's also a Facebook page. It looks like right now about 10 or 11 people are signed up. Uh, we're hoping to get about 20. And tomorrow, we're officially announcing the Library 2.011 virtual conference. This is going to be November 2nd and 3rd. And like the Global Education Conference, it will be free and over the course of 24 hours for two days, 24 hours a day for two days. So look for that either at library2011.net or at library20.com. If you're coming to ISTE, we can't wait. It's coming up the end of next week, at least as your blogger con is. That's the Saturday before ISTE in the Pennsylvania Convention Center. It's an all-day unconference. It is free. More information at edubloggercon.com. You do not need to be attending ISTE to attend EduBloggerCon. Um, at ISTE also, we have the Bloggers Cafe area, which is just a blast. And we have ISTE Unplugged. If you've never presented, or you didn't get a submission in in time, or there's something you, you want to talk about that's new, you can go to isteunplugged.com and sign up. We have a presentation area. It's right by the Bloggers Cafe. It's filling up fast this year, which is really, really fun. But it also means that if you want to do it, you should probably get on in the next day or two and um, grab yourself a time slot. Coming up, to, uh, not tomorrow, but Thursday on the future of education, Denise Pope talks about her book, Doing School. You probably, if you saw Race to Nowhere, Denise uh, from Stanford is in that movie and, and uh, is um, interviewed a couple of times. So. Uh, and her book is a fascinating study of students, uh, five relatively successful students at an affluent high school, and talking about how uh, what school really is like for them and how they view it. Next, um, let's see, next month, the beginning of next month, Sandy Hirsch comes on. She's the director of the San Jose State University School of Library and Information Sciences. She's the co. 
um, chair of the Library 2.011 conference. She's going to come on and talk about libraries and digital literacy. Carol Black comes on on the 7th to talk about her movie, Schooling the World, fascinating look at the exporting of uh, industrialized schooling uh, in northern India. Uh, Tony Jackson and Veronica, can't say her last name, are going to talk about their book, Educating for Global Competence, and lots more fun coming up. If you've missed any of our shows, they are all recorded in full Illuminate versions and in the MP3 audio format. Troy Hicks talked about digital writing last week. Really terrific uh, guy, great show, highly recommended. Um, lots of other hopefully good recorded material for you at futureofeducation.com. If this is your first time in Illuminate, it is a participative environment. A couple of you have your hands raised right now. If you have questions, feel free to put them in the chat. There are those who can answer them in the chat for you. When we move to Q&A, you can raise your hand and we'll give you the microphone. And you can uh, ask a question that way, or you can ask a question in the uh, chat as well. If you haven't done this before, I'm going to recommend that you go up to View Layouts and switch yourself to the Wide Layout. It's much easier to see the screen if you do so. So that's uh, in your toolbar view, go to Layouts and the Wide Layout. You'll see at the bottom of the participant window are some emoticons, a smiling face, a clapping hand, confused look, or thumbs down. Feel free to use those or put your comments in the chat. And right now we're going to let you indicate where you're listening from. Look to the left of the map for a wand. It's a blue stick with a red star at the end. If you click on that and then click on the map, you can tell us where you're participating from. It's a lot of fun also if you shout it out in the chat especially if you're somewhere unique where the weather is hot or cold or exciting for some reason. Tom wants to know if we gave out any prizes. I don't think we have any prizes yet, although you have reminded me, Tom. Uh, on Friday, we will be giving away that beautiful touchscreen computer. I've never done this before, but if you go to teacher20.com and you actually either put in an idea in the idea area or you comment on an idea, that makes you eligible to win this 23-inch gorgeous touchscreen computer. Uh, I, it's very funny to be giving something away like that, but I was uh, approached by Lenovo and uh, was glad to do it because they gave me one as part of the deal. You do not have to be present to win. OK, we're going to switch to Larry now. Thank you so much for being here, Larry. Uh, how hot was it today in Sacramento? I, I couldn't tell you for sure what the temperature was, but students were whining and teachers were whining. So uh, I mean, I think it's probably been the hottest day we've had yet. So um, I don't know, maybe maybe upper 80s, maybe. Thermometer sits in the sun, and I woke up this morning, and when I finally glanced over at my um, thermometer reading, it was 110, and I thought, oh, that just can't be true. So I have no idea what the temperature really was, but I do know it was a warm day. 
Okay, so uh, your book is Helping Students Motivate Themselves, Practical Answers to Classroom Challenges. Was there something in particular that motivated you to write this book at this time? Well, I think I've been, uh, you, know, you know, prior to becoming a teacher, I spent 19 years working as a community organizer. Um, and a key motto uh, of our national organization, the Industrial Areas Foundation, was from Saul Linsky, who said, um, who he talked about the importance of the iron rule, never do for others what they can do for themselves, never. And I think over the past eight years I've been a teacher, I've been trying to experiment and try to figure out how I can implement a lot of those organizing principles uh, teaching. And I teach in the uh, largest inner city school in Sacramento. Uh, a lot of our students face many challenges. And uh, in my organizing career, I worked with a lot of families in low-income communities who face a lot of challenges, too, when there's lots of other stresses. And just trying to figure out how to, um, instead of pushing a rope, which I think many of us in the classroom feel like we're doing a lot of time, how to figure out how we can help students see that it's in their self-interest to uh, pull the rope, pull, pull themselves up on the rope themselves. So the book is organized um, um, in two parts. And each part has uh, several chapters that start with a question. It felt very much to me like the book was a combination of philosophy and practical advice. Um, Tell us about how you divided the book and um, and how you hope people will read it. Well, um, I mean, I think that's an interesting way of framing it, um, philosophy and practical advice. I think what I tried to do is uh, frame it in terms of classroom management and instructional strategies. But I think practically speaking, it's it's not really possible to separate the two though uh, sometimes people think they can. Um, and uh, so I sort of, I mean, I sort of began by trying to look at, well, what are the, what have been the major problems that I have faced in my teaching career? And, um, and as I mentioned in my organizing, in, my, in, in the last eight years, I've tried to approach those from an organizing perspective. And uh, I mean, another thing, we, another saying in organizing we talk about um, is the difference between irritation and agitation. That we irritate people when we challenge them to do something that we want them to do. And we agitate them when we challenge them to do something that would help them get to what they want to have happen for themselves. So. Um, you know, making a list of the problems that ha that I have faced, and then you know the, what I've sort of found has worked effectively for me and have and a number of my colleagues at at our school in implementing that strategy of agitation instead of irritation, um, as well as um, 
and a variety of other community organizing strategies. So there's another sort of duality to the book, which is that it's both about academic skills and life skills. And uh, it, it seems to me that in many ways the book is driven by the core question, question number one, which is really a part of the title, which is how do you motivate students? So could we look at that first chapter and could you kind of describe what you do in that chapter? Sure. I also just want to mention one other, one other thing that I think precipitated the, the book. I, I think, you know, there's been a lot of research that's been done, particularly recently, about the importance of our students developing what's called social-emotional um, learning. And, you know, there's lots and lots of research and lots of programs that, that people can get that supposedly teach those things. But just uh, a few months ago, a major meta-analysis of studies of this came out and showed that students developing these kind of skills, you know, self-control, perseverance, um, has, can have a major impact on academic achievement. The, and, but what they also found were, were that lessons, simple lessons given by teachers in the classroom as opposed to buying some kind of school-wide major initiative, um, that, that, was, that they found that that was most effective in both improving academic achievement and developing, helping students develop uh, these kind of social-emotional skills. Um, so that was another. I mean, it's interesting timing that I think this idea of social emotional learning is is becoming clearer to folks about the, about its importance. And getting to the first chapter, um, you know, it's it's I've never motivated a student. I've effectively I have cajoled a student. I have begged a student. I've threatened a student. Um, but I just don't think it's possible to motivate a student. I think really the only way to, to go about it is, is to help, I've helped students motivate themselves. And if you look back at the, uh, the root word of motivation, it comes from motive, which means what, what inwardly drives someone. Um, and there's been tons of research, and certainly Daniel Pink's book, Drive, um, Cover, you know, covers a lot of that ground. That um, the idea of uh, cajoling or begging or um, treating students more like rats in a maze doesn't work over the long term. But what does work is the idea of helping students figure out what you know, what is their, what are their visions for themselves? Where do they want to go? and then trying to frame things, frame lessons in a way that will help, it, that they will see it in their self-interest to learn it, that it will help them lead to that, get to that point. So, for example, um, some lessons in the book ranging from students learning about learning, uh, learning actually makes the brain bigger. It develops neurons. 
and being able to learn this in our lesson that combines literacy development with this idea of um, helping students realize that they, anybody, by just learning anything, that they can have a, a major impact on their brain. One of the things in the, I try to do in the lesson at the beginning is ask students, do you believe that your intelligence is fixed, that you're born as smart or not as smart as you are, there's nothing you can do about it, or do you believe the brain um, is fixed? Um, I'm sorry, is it, is it fixed or can it be developed as like a muscle? And without fail, most of the students who have learning disabilities all say at the beginning that it's fixed. You're born the way it is and that's it. Um, but through the lesson, at the end, when that same question is raised, everybody believes that it can be developed as a muscle. And yes, I'm looking at the chats. Certainly, there's a lesson plan involved using Carolyn Dweck's growth mindset. Um, and I'm seeing also the chat. So certainly, the strong, you have to have a strong relationship with, with students. You can't help students get to where they're going unless you know where they want to go. You have to figure out what their self-interest is. And so the, the first chapter talks about lessons around uh, development of the brain, develop, you know, self-control, how studies have shown that self-control and perseverance or grit are really the key qualities of success. And, and students can learn this and see this. Uh, and, and it's much, I feel much better about um, challenging students not so much about, well, get on task, do your assignments, as opposed to, remember what we learned about the brain, growing the neurons? Remember what we learned about the importance of self-control? So I think it's important to communicate here that, every, that the book is full of these lesson plans, that they're all downloadable. If you buy the book, there's a list and a, and a listing on the web where you can go to download them all. And that first lesson plan, the brain is like a muscle, that to me really reflected uh, something in the book that I'm going to call, I'm going to use a phrase here to name it, but you may have a different phrase for it. And I would call it generative, meaning there's this openness to what you're doing and the process that seems to me be very respectful of the students, giving them the tool set for you know, understanding how they're going to grow throughout the year and helping them to develop those skills themselves. So I use that word generative. How do you describe that? Well, I think generative is a good, uh, you know, a good way of, of, of putting it. I, I don't know if I come up with one, a better word to describe it, a better one word to describe it. I mean, I, I generally view it as, uh, at least in terms of the lesson plans, recognizing that uh, we all have a curriculum that we have to cover. Um, and I wanted to incorporate a way, you know, challenging reading, because it's all combined with, with challenging students to develop writing and literacy skills. Um, these students have to write about it, they have to talk about it, they've got to read scientific studies. Uh, 
uh, or excerpts of it. You know, these are ninth graders, many who face lots of challenges. And I think it's interesting to students. I mean, students want to know that their brain can grow. They find it interesting that self-control and perseverance are the key qualities of success, not how high they score on the test. Um, and, and, and I think it's about giving students But it's about providing students with challenging literacy um, lessons and combine that with helping them see that it's in their self-interest to work hard and to challenge themselves. And that it's okay to make mistakes. And that's how the brain works. And the people who are most successful are the people who make the most mistakes. Um, I mean, it's looking at students through their assets and not their deficits. So a lot of the material in that first chapter would be pretty familiar to those who regularly listen to the show. The dangers of incentives and rewards, you know, praising efforts and actions, kind of the Carol Dweck material, using cooperative learning, show the students the advantages of doing well in school, create opportunities for students to make decisions, the brain is like a muscle, setting goals. Uh, partner support, ask questions, make goals public, um, designing action plans, getting enough sleep. I'm hoping I'm giving enough clues here that if someone's interested, they'll want to run out and read that first chapter. But in that lesson plan, it feels to me like you also set up a pattern that, uh, that's, that's in all of the lessons that you have there. Uh, what kinds of things are you hoping that every lesson plan will do? So, and so what exercises do you try to include in each lesson plan to help bring those, uh, those ways of working out? Larry, if your mic's not on, you got I'm hoping you're... Oops, sorry about that. Uh, one, it's about cha offering cha uh, students challenging reading um, and, a st and pushing them to implement their reading strategies. Uh, it's, they're all incorporating small group learning. They're all pushing students to reflect on their, you know, take what they have learned and reflect on their own lives and their own visions and their own goals, and then to also f develop um, ideas of how they want to implement what they have learned, how to make it relevant to themselves, and then how to, and then to, to share it with other students so that, um, um, I mean, in organizing, we talk about the difference between opinion and judgment. Opinion is just something what I th is what I think. Judgment is something that we develop after we share what we think and we hear what other people think. Uh, so I think all the lesson plans have those, you know, those steps, and they're all short, being able to be done in a period, a period and a half. I mean, we've got limited time, but it all they all create opportunities to reflect back on them. They're just, you know, they're tools for. It's not a matter of just given a lesson and then they're done for the year. It's a, it, you know, it's an important ongoing reflective tool. Um, you know, if someone's, you know, if a kid is falling asleep at class and it's not necessarily because it's a boring lesson, 
instead of having instead of just telling them to wake up, you can talk to them and say, remember what we learned about the, you know you know the impact. If you don't get enough sleep, you gain weight, you get more depressed. You know, um, and it's not just me saying it. It's just it's the scientists that they have read about. So I really loved that, and, I, and again, I, I really loved the kind of commonalities between the lessons. And as for every single one, there's work being done by the students where they talk to each other about their responses, and then they kind of reply out loud, and, um, and sort of study skill pieces in each one of them. Okay, so um, that first chapter, the How Do You Motivate Students, felt to me in many ways like it was kind of the heart of the book, but there's so much else that's good, I want to move on. Uh, the second chapter or the second question is how do you help students see the importance of personal responsibility? And I think that's getting touched on a little bit in the chat. So how do you help students to see the importance of personal responsibility? And again, I'm wondering if your mic's not on, Larry. I'm sorry. God, maybe the heat's getting to me. I keep on forgetting to turn my, my mic on. I will remember now. Um, you can uh, range from people, students reading or watching videos about people they respect, uh, you know, famous people like Michael Jordan or or others to um, to talk about how they take personal responsibility. There's a, a great video clip of Barack Obama saying, "I screwed up." Uh, there's a video clip of a famous soccer coach saying, you know, it's my responsibility. Um, you know, so I'm seeing models of people saying that it's their responsibility. And then looking at, again, what scientists say, what happens to people who don't? How are people who don't take personal responsibility viewed by others? Um, uh, I mean, teachers are very familiar with the student's response to problems, saying, "He, you know, um, you know, it's your, you know, your fault. You know, you, you know, you didn't give me the information. You weren't clear. You don't, you know, you know that it's, you know, there's a um, a perspective that many students have of not taking responsibility, and so sort of modeling that it's that." that there's an alternative way and that in the long run it's helpful. I mean that works so much better than just getting upset at a student who is trying to uh, say, oh he made me do it. Um, he talked to me. He started it. Have any of your students uh, read the book? And if so, how have they responded? Um, well, certainly, there's been, uh, I mean, students look through the book. I don't know if students have actually read the book, but students, I mean, I, I share what I write in my blog all the time. And I share the, you know, especially where I talk about the lessons and what, what students did. Um, people, you know, kids read it all the time, and they love it. Um, there's, um, I mean, people, you know, students, I, 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 don't, I, think, I think they have less interest in actually the content and more interest in the fact that I'm actually 
I actually think about them beyond the classroom, <laughs> and I, you know, I talk about it. Um, but um, you know, when we do these lessons, I mean, I'm pretty clear about the reasoning why. So if any students have done this, say, read the book, there's not much in the book that I have not shared with students directly. Has anybody ever compared what you're doing to character education? And how does that dialogue go? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I've heard of character education. I don't know if if that has morphed into this idea of social um, emotional learning. I, uh, I, I couldn't tell you if they're the same or different. Well, certainly for me, I really felt as though it, with each lesson, I thought, oh, I want to do that with my kids. I want to do that with my kids. And it, it sort of helped to answer for me this sense of how do you do character education in an age of cultural sensitivities. Well, let's keep going. Um, question five was, how do you help students see problems as opportunities, not frustrations? So this is very much, sort of for me, the Carol Dweck line of thinking. Uh, how do you do this? What have you done, and what are the lessons that you use to help shift that mindset? I can't believe I have to tell you this. <laughs> You're going to feel uh, so bad. I'm sorry. I am sorry. I apologize. Um, I got to put a. I'm going to put a, a, a post-it note on my monitor to remind me now. Just don't uh, turn your mic off. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, Car obviously Carol Dweck. Uh, we, I mean, we actually go over the, you know, the, the growth and fixed mindset. Uh, um, but we also look at, you know, Angela Duckworth has done a lot of work on um, grit, perseverance, uh, that, that in her research, in a lot of research, has found that perseverance as well as self-control are the two key qualities of success. So, um, you know, and of course, also just looking at, you know, there's the famous Nike commercial of Michael Jordan. You know, he says, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. You know, I failed over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. You know, I mean, that's, a, that's an incredible um, a message for students. And, uh, um, you know, and just looking at those examples um, and looking at how people who they respect have used those problems as as opportunities, and then going back to the brain, the uh, uh, recent research, you know, is found in this case is coming after they wrote the book and will be in the sequel. That uh, yes, it's true that learning new things grows the brain, but actually, what happens? It grows the brain a lot as you make mistakes and you're figuring out what what works and what doesn't. And then it starts shrinking again. It gets rid of all the things that they learned doesn't work. Um, I mean, it still has more neurons in it, but it's, it's interesting to see that that is really how the brain grows.
through, you know, through the mistakes we make and through learning which mistakes, you know, you know, which worked, yeah, and the Tom Edison one, um, you know, the Tom Edison quote about, you know, I didn't fail a hundred times, I learned a hundred ways it wasn't going to work. Larry, you, you include a lot about the brain research. You're, you're looking at um, metacognition, higher order thinking skills. You're helping students learn to motivate themselves. Are, but you've really kept yourself sort of in the classroom in this book. If we stretch a little beyond the classroom, are there lessons here for teacher training? Are there, do you have some strong feelings that have developed about what kinds of things teachers need to be being taught? Well, I think the idea of looking at students through a lens of assets instead of deficits is the key. Uh, that, um, and just this whole, I think we just got to get out of this idea of we've got to motivate students. That, you know, we've got to put on shows for students. Um, I don't think we've got to get dressed up you know, in costumes to teach students to motivate them. I think we've got to get to know students. we got to spend the time and develop relationships, learn their hopes and dreams, learn their struggles, and then help frame how we talk to them and how we teach so that they can see that it's in their self-interest to learn it. Um, not our self-interest. It's in their self-interest. Dressing up can be fun. I see in the chat, but I'm saying that I think uh, I don't think uh, I think that can be a nice thing to do on occasion. I think looking at it as a long-term, day-in, day-out strategy is we've got to look at connecting with students, developing those relationships and figuring out how they can motivate themselves. And I don't think that that is, I think in a lot of teacher ed programs, that is not at the core. And I think it could be. So Tom uh, makes a point in the chat, and I think it was where I was going to go next. And that is, again, you're very focused on that individual teacher and the individual connections with those students. Are there lessons for the school culture? And how would you, well, Tom says, um, wouldn't it require a school-wide effort? How do you respond to that? Well, I mean, I think it would certainly be nice to have school-wide effort. And certainly in our school, many of my colleagues have done these lessons and helped me make them better. Uh, you know, and it certainly helps if you've got a school that has a relational culture. Uh, but I think there are a lot of a lot of us, a lot of teachers who are not in those those situations. And um, if you're not over the long term, I mean I'd rather um, I mean, I think doing this kind of stuff in the class can make the class an oasis of sanity and compassion uh, for your students. Uh, 
and hopefully, I mean, I think that if it works, I think just like at my school, other teachers will be interested in trying it too. Uh, it's um, yeah, so I, I think that's that's probably all I've got to say to that. But I mean, it's a it's a challenge. So in addition to uh, not relying on dressing up, there's another thing that you don't rely on in the book that I think is very interesting given your background, which is technology. So what's the role of technology? You do incorporate it here. And um, how do you see uh, the latest technologies of the web playing a part in this um, student motivation piece? Well, I, I think it can certainly um, be a good tool to use. Um, um, some, you know, for for many for many students, um, it can be much more engaging. Uh, I mean, I, I think what we, one of the chapters is how to end the year strong, and uh, one of the the best ways I think that we've recently started at. Burbank High School is many of our students create um, student lesson plans that you know spend we spend quite a bit of time in the lab and develop lesson plans on topics of their own choosing and then teach them to students. Uh, students can create virtual field trips online. I mean, there's technology can be a, a good tool. Uh, for any of these, you know, for any of these challenges, if it's engaging to students, I mean, I don't think it's a uh, panacea. And I think what I, one of the things I do in the book is try to offer suggestions of a, sort of a, an, entr an entryway for so many teachers who are not that familiar with it. Um, but I think it offers lots of, you know, lots of opportunities, lots of supplemental uh, opportunities to deepen uh, student engagement. So I really like that answer, and it's intriguing because for those who follow the show will know, you know, the Future of Education show really started out as a technology-focused show, and increasingly is less and less so. But uh, and we've talked about this before. But I was it was very noticeable to me in reading this book that I that I would give up all kinds of technology to have a teacher like you teaching my children, um, and that for me that uh, technology was very secondary to the the life skills lessons in the book. Um, can can I ask you about parents? There's just a brilliant. Uh, form you have in the book for parents. Um, I'm trying to remember what it's called. You'll you'll remember. Oh, it's called Looking Back. Can you tell us about that and and how it impacts what happens with your students? Yeah, I mean I, I mean I think it's a it's a it's a nice way to begin the school year, where uh, students bring the form to their parents and have to interview their parents about their high school experiences and what um, what they learned, what they would like to do, you know, do differently if they could, what advice 
you know, they would have. But it's a, it's just an opportunity to to help um, you know both engage parents a little bit more in what we're doing in class, and to also um, you know maybe get them a little more invested in helping provide a little more you know a little guidance to their students to their kids if they may not you know might not ordinarily do it. In a way, it's it's sort of a, a push for students to then share with all of them, all um, other students, what their parents think. And then um, ultimately what ends up happening is that after all the students share what their, you know, sort of the wisdom that their parents offer, students have to determine which they think are the most, you know, the most important things that they have learned from what everybody has shared from their parents. You know, they make a little poster, you know, it's something to be to remind people. It's a it's a nice, easy way to uh, to begin the year. So uh, we're going to move to Q and A in a minute, but before we do so, I do, uh, having liked the book as much as I did, I am personally curious as to your thoughts with regard to the larger school reform movements. So much of what you focused on here is the relationship with the teacher to the students. Does this help inform some sense of your ideas around what constitutes appropriate uh, kind of larger policy issues? Well, clearly, I, I, I definitely have very strong opinions about uh, much of what is done in the name of reform here in the United States these days. And in, uh, you know, if you look at it, much of what's being done is in direct contradiction to what I write about in the book. Uh, I write about in the book about the um, how punishment punishment doesn't work generally, right? And whole reform movement is about punishing schools and punishing teachers. It's not about um, uh, overt incentives. Uh, which, of course, the school reform movement is about carrots and sticks. Uh, it's not focused on, it's not viewing test scores as the be-all and end-all um, to use as an evaluative tool, uh, but much of what's done in the name of school reform is precisely all about that. So. Uh, I would not put what's being done in the name of school reform in the United States in the same on the same level of you know growth mindset or you know the idea of encouraging grit. Um, so that's I mean I'm, I try to be fairly involved and engaged in trying to 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 combat much of what's done, especially since Michelle Reeves. Right and has moved right to our backyard here in Sacramento. Okay, so we're switching to Q and A. When we do that, this means that you can put a question in the chat, or if you'd like to, you can use the icon at the bottom of your participant window. It's the larger icon of the hand and the green up arrow, and you can uh, raise your hand, and we'll give you the microphone. I've collected some of the questions in the chat. If you've posted a question in the chat, and I 
don't get it, please repost it. Becky wanted to know early on, is this book appropriate for teachers at all grade levels or just high school level? Well, I think clearly um, the lessons with little modification could be used from grades 6 to 12. I think the you know, with probably a little more modification could be used, with considerably more modification could be used younger. But I think one of the things that we didn't get to in the in the interview is there are lots of, um, each chapter, most chapters are divided into two parts. One are ideas of how to deal with um, problems as they come up now. Uh, the other one is sort of longer term solutions, so I think the lesson plans and, and how to reflect back on them with students. But there's lots of um, ranging from uh, talking to students in the context of positive frame messages as opposed to negative frame messages. You know, a student asks, can I go to the restroom? I always, I, I never say no. I say yes. I always lead with yes but not necessarily, you know, but then say when, <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, it, it's just minor things like that can have such a major impact. The, you know, some of the research about choice, about how, um, you know, and, and easy ways to, ha to help students feel they have choice and to make them genuine choices. So there's lots of those, many of those ideas are immediately implementable. Uh, across and you know across the grade levels. Greg asked a question that I have a sense will be one close to your heart. What about the student who comes from a household that does not know the value of education because they came from a third world country themselves, and no one in their family has ever gone on in school and simply dropped out themselves? If the home life is not telling them education is important, how do you motivate them? Well, a large percentage of my students have parents who have never been in school before at all. Um, um, we have, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of Hmong refugee uh, students at our school. It's, um, I mean, in my experience, in many ways, those parents are the ones who generally have a much, have the most clear perspective on why that going to, why education is important. But um, one, you know, one simple way, and I think, and I think this is, this is uh, included in the book, um, and research has shown, just showing students uh, the income level by educational attainment uh, has a major impact on how seriously students will see, uh, see, see the work see the importance of going to school and working hard at it. Um, clearly, you know, it's, gonna, it's going to vary about the level of parent engagement and parent support. But, I mean, we can only do what we can do. And we can also reference your previous interviews on the show because we, we have talked about um, the, some of the things you've done with families that have made a difference for students. Um, and if, if we get to it and we have time, we can come back to that. Um, Larry wanted to know, 
uh, oh, we've talked about that, the school-wide efforts. Um, okay, so if you do have a question for, for Larry that I didn't get to, that you put in the chat, I apologize, but please post it again and we'll make sure to get it. You can also raise your hand. That's the hand with the green up arrow at the bottom of the participant window. And we'll give you the microphone to ask a question. Larry, uh, what is metacognition? Well, I think uh, well, metacognition is simply the idea of thinking about thinking, being aware of the process that uh, our minds are using as we're doing stuff, doing things, and it's something that I really work with and with with students. And one of the one of the uh, chapters is about how to develop higher order thinking skills in Bloom's taxonomy. Uh, and through this idea of metacognition, I mean, if students, you know, if there's a a close like a fill in the gap, or they have to choose the uh, word that fits in it. Students have to give reasons why. Uh, the idea is the more students are aware of how they came to a conclusion, what worked for them, the more they will be able to, the more conscious they'll be of that, and they'll be able to, to use those same strategies in the future. Again, it's not magic. Um, um, so. Okay, I'm going to give Maria the microphone. Maria, you've raised your hand. To turn your mic on, you click on the microphone button at the lower left side of your screen. See how you do here. While we're waiting to see if Maria can turn her mic on, Larry, there were a couple of other questions. Uh, Michael Lane wanted to know, how much are motivating students with learning disabilities touched on in the book? Well, I, it, it's not touched on explicitly, um, just as English language learners are not touched on explicitly in the book. But clearly, um, I mean, I've, I have lots of students in, our, in my classes who have learning disabilities. And I would say, I mean, in, in, for some of those lessons, particularly around the brain, uh, in many ways, they have had the great those lessons have had the greatest impact on them um, and clearly the the ideas um, you know the immediate ideas of how to respond to issues that are in the book I think clearly work very well with um, with students learning disabilities um, because I mean they're used to being punished I mean, at least, you know, and this is not about punishment, <laughs> so, you know, uh, and 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 they respond to that. Oh, it sounds like Maria has the microphone. Oh yes, but I really, it's my first time. <laughs> I guess it's fine, doing the right thing. Okay, my point is, uh, you were talking about technology, and that is my uh, my point. I want to to discuss with you. First, my apologize because I, I haven't read your book, but it's, uh, I think I, I will buy it because it's amazing all that I'm here, hearing. Um, it's very difficult in Argentina because um, we haven't got um, the beautiful diversity that I wish to have. But they have uh, any diversity criteria like rural areas, 
and city areas. And in my experience, technology is very important. I, I found that I can get my goals, my aims as a teacher, uh, deeply. For example, making adaptations of the classics, photosyntheses. I'm talking about secondary school. I am not a teacher of primary school. And it's very difficult for me because it's not my first language, English. But uh, I think I can motivate them. That is the point. I can motivate them deeply. So what do you think? I know it's a tool, but maybe I need some learning about e-learning, about um, more technology in which they can share interactions, um, like e-languages site and so on. What do, what do you think? Well, I think clearly technology can be very, you know, very engaging. And um, it, uh, particularly, I think, as a, as a supplement, I don't necessarily view it, you know, use it as the key element of my instruction, uh, though particularly for English language learners, I, you know, uh, technology is a godsend. Uh, but I think there's lots of different easy strategies uh, to use technology. Um, the chapter in my book about technology lists many ones for people who are just engaging, just getting involved in it. Um, and certainly my blog, to a large extent, is about offering ideas of how teachers can effectively use technology with students. And it certainly seems that these cross-cultural, cross-language connections using technology uh, are so powerful. Uh, Jennifer, uh, somewhat jokingly and maybe not, wants to know if you want to partner on an elementary school version of the book. Uh, I'll let you connect with her directly in the chat if you'd like. Uh, InfoMeister asked, is it possible to truly motivate and yet still keep the requirements of NCLB RTTT? Uh, well, two things. One, I should mention that Alice Mercer, uh, teach an elementary school teacher here in Sacramento, has done some similar lessons in an elementary school, and has done some really good ones. And uh, uh, we've actually done some. Our classes have done some things together. And she has a, a blog. Um, uh, she's a, a popular blogger too. Um, Steve, could you please re, uh, remind me of the question again? I'm sorry. No need to apologize. How do you motivate and yet keep the requirements of NCLB RTTT? Well, I think uh, I, I do these lessons and I did this book in the context of no, no child left behind, um, and all of the. I mean, we're a program improvement school. Um, what a lot of the you know for people who are data driven, or for you know for our uh, government entities that are data driven, um, what plenty of studies have shown 
are that these kind of lessons do result in increased academic achievement. So uh, it's very easy to frame it that way. And these same studies show that simple lessons taught by teachers can, uh, you know, are the best way to communicate. So, I mean, I don't think it is, um, I think it can certainly be done fairly easily in that context as long as you have an administration that is not uh, forcing everybody to necessarily be on the same page every day you know, on the curriculum. Uh, you know, all the, the, less, the lesson plans in the book are all designed to take, you know, a period, a period and a half, at most two periods. And certainly the immediate responses to problems can be dealt with, you know, dealt with in seconds. So, um, I, I mean, I think it can be done. You know, if you're if you're in a school where the administration is totally unwilling to be flexible, it's a different story. Larry, uh, Laura asked um, about um, students with limited proficiency in English. I think you've addressed it, but is there anything more you'd want to say on that? Well, in the lesson plans, just I mean, what, what, what I do is I just modify the reading uh, that they have to do and do a lot of read-alouds and make them simpler. But uh, the the basic lessons can be done, and I do them. I mean, I teach mainstream learners, and I teach classes of English language learners. So it's you, know, you just got to modify it. Like you got to probably modify most other lessons for them to make it accessible. So, Larry, we've reached the end of our time. I'm clapping for you. I'm using that little clapping icon at the bottom of the participant window. Thanks so much for coming on, and thanks for the book. I really enjoyed it. Well, thank you for, uh, for having me. And um, I appreciate uh, the opportunity. And getting pushed and challenged, getting questions that I haven't been asked before. And when I do these kind of things, I learn as much as I give. I don't have any aspirations that we significantly change the Amazon rankings. But there were several people who said they were going to buy the book. And I uh, would say that you will have spent your money wisely if you do that. Thanks to Larry for coming on the show tonight. Uh, again, for coming on again. Uh, thanks to you all for participating wherever you are in the world or if you're listening to the recording. Uh, Thursday, June 16th, Denise Pope from Stanford University comes on to talk about her book, Doing School. Really a terrific, a lot of fun to have you uh, with us tonight. Thanks, everybody, and thanks, Larry, again. <laughs>